Well, I think um, for first-time parents, one of the most unexpected things is the bowel movements. I mean, sure, we go in definitely expecting to change diapers, but nothing like this. <laughs> we go in, we know there's going to be diapers, but, and I don't want to totally gross you out right off the bat today, but I have to say, we should be better warned about what to expect when we're going in. I, of course, had a little bit of an idea because I had all those younger siblings, so I helped out with them when they were young. But nothing prepared me to deal with what Peter has to, he stores up for us, I should say. (laughs) Something about having his diaper changed seems to trigger the desire to go more, (laughs) to add to the contents of the diaper. And so there are times we go through a diaper change. We go through three diapers or four diapers and one diaper change, (laughs) and uh, it's just totally unexpected. Sometimes we can catch it in the diaper, or sometimes we can see that it's coming, so we're prepared. Other times it happens fast, unexpected, and projectile style. (laughs) I think Peter's record so far is about five feet. (laughs) And that's not to mention, I should uh, say, Mark, I'm sure, can understand, and Pavel and Anna, but for Mark, for parents of girls, they have it a little bit easier. Because everything goes in one direction. (laughs) For parents of boys, you have to prepare for any and all directional possibilities. (laughs) I guess uh, it all comes around fair play. Because I guess there's supposedly a picture of me as a baby giving my grandmother, my sweet grandmother, a very unexpected shower. So (laughs) it all comes around. But what I'm saying is that the fact that This fact of babyhood is often unexpected or downplayed, but it shouldn't be that way. We should be able to expect it. We should know it's coming. And people should be warned in advance of this. Last week, uh, when we looked into our Bibles, we looked into the book of Jude, the second to last book in the Bibles. If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me there now. And the passage we saw last week, we saw the importance of contending for our faith of defending it against false teachers and defending it against ungodly lifestyles in the church and outside the church. Today we're going to look at the second half of the book. And in this section, Jude is going to begin by telling us something that should be expected, but is often not. It goes unexpected, and so it surprises us when it sneaks up on us. But he's going to tell us that this shouldn't catch us off guard. And I'll tell you what it is right after we pray and ask God to guide us into this time together. Lord, we do thank you that you've given us, even though we have some difficulties today, we thank you for this building that we can meet. We thank you for air conditioning to keep us somewhat cool. We thank you for just the freedom we have to worship you in this land. You've blessed us so much, and we don't want to take our eyes off those blessings. We thank you, and thank you for the freedom that we have to open your word and read it in a public place like this. We pray that you would guide us, you would guide each one of our hearts, uh, be convicting us of anything we need to be convicted of, encouraging us where we need encouragement. We pray that you would do this in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week, as I just said, we saw that there were certain people who had infiltrated the church. There were false teachers and ungodly people who ended up polluting the gospel and with their teachings and the lifestyles. If you just 
skim through these verses in Jude verse 4. For certain men whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are godless men who change the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. Skip down to verse 8. It says, In the same way these dreamers pollute their own bodies, reject authority, and slander celestial beings. Verse 12 and 13, These men are blemishes at your love feast, eating with you without the slightest qualm, shepherds who feed only themselves. They are clouds without rain, blown along by the wind, autumn trees without fruit and uprooted, twice dead. They are wild waves of the sea, foaming up their shame, wandering stars for whom the blackest darkness has been reserved forever. Then you come to verse 16 at the end. These men are grumblers and fault finders. They follow their own evil desires. They boast about themselves and flatter others for their own advantage. Apparently, though, as Jude wrote this letter to people, he knew that this fact of these people in the church was surprising to some people. They were surprised by it. They didn't expect to see ungodly people in the church. And so in verse 17, he comes and he says this, But, dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you, In the last times there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. These are the men who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the Spirit. So in these verses, we see what is often unexpected, but it should be expected. And that is, in your notes, I put it this way, that ungodliness is to be expected in our days, even in the church. We should expect to see ungodly people in these last days, even amongst ourselves. Ungodliness is to be expected in our days, even in God's holy church. I'll read it again, verse 17 and 19. But dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you, in these last times there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. These are the men who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts, and do not have the spirit. Sometimes I think we get way too surprised when we hear about certain sins that take place whether inside the church or outside the church. We hear stories in the news all the time of just brutal human nature. Even this last week, we hear of a teenage boy who murdered his parents and then promptly threw a house party for a whole bunch of friends. Or insane people just going on shooting sprees around the world, killing people they've never even met. In certain countries, we hear of babies being born and then killed. Many times, all the girls, <laughs> the whole generation just wiped out. In our own nation, and in North America, the last 40 or 50 years, millions upon millions upon millions of babies have been killed before they even saw the light of day. We hear this, and sometimes it surprises us. It shocks us. How could something so bad happen in our world. Where did all this come from? Our world is a wicked and evil place full of what I would call sinful to the core people. And then, when we come in the church, and we hear stories of people who claim to be Christians falling or failing, 
in many different areas. And it surprises us. But how could a Christian do that? But here's a fact. Every one of us in this room is a fallen sinner. We all are. We are capable and we are culpable of many, many sins. Each one of us is. Why should it surprise us when our own ungodliness gets into the church, the place we call home? Why should that surprise us? Here Jude is making the argument that people shouldn't be surprised when wickedness pops up because the apostles predicted as much years before. It says, Remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you, in the last times there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. It's basically a direct quotation of what Peter said in 2 Peter chapter 3. He says, first of all, you must understand that in the last days scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. The word scoffer means someone who expresses scorn or derision or contempt. So in the church, this will mean someone who scoffs at godly things, at good things. Whether that's belittling godly teaching, or God's word, or godly things that are going on. God's word says, what? Ah, who cares? I'll live how I want to. That preacher doesn't know what he's talking about. He can't see my life. This is the way I'm going to live. Or maybe your friends will come to you and say, I can't believe you would still stand for something like that today. Or they're like the people that Jude talked about in the earlier part of the book, who changed the grace of our God into a license for immorality. Basically saying God's grace is so amazing that it covers even the sins that I'm still committing so I can live however I want. Twisting God's grace into something it's not. Distorting it. And Jude says these people end up following their own ungodly desires. You see people who claim to be believers, claim to be Christians, claim to be part of the church, but they're following their ungodly desires, their own desires. Choosing to go after worldly things instead of godly things. Perhaps this would be someone who chooses to follow their desire to gain as much money as possible. And not to be generous with it or to do good with it, but just to hoard it. Or what about someone who chooses to follow their own desires of premarital or extramarital sexual desires? Or someone who chooses to follow their own prideful or gluttonous or power-hungry desires? Choosing to go after worldly things. And I'd say we should expect to see more and more of this as the days go on, and the days become more evil. But, we should also beware of it. We should beware of these people. Jude says that these are the people who end up causing divisions in the church. Verse 19, these are the men who divide you. 
who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the Spirit. How do they cause divisions? By following their natural desires, not having the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is who keeps the church unified in one accord. And so if someone doesn't have the Holy Spirit, they're not going to pursue that unity of the church, and they end up dividing it. If someone is part of the church but doesn't have the Spirit, they jeopardize the unity. It may be intentional, maybe unintentional. I remember my dad coming home from church business meetings when I was a kid, and he would just say something in the car like, oh, a couple people sure didn't seem to have the Spirit tonight. Meaning they were trying to divide, cause divisions in the church. So, for us, this would be one very practical way. At a church business meeting, when we have meetings, I have been so impressed with the unity displayed in our church. But that doesn't mean we're completely safe from it. If someone chooses to do something that is dividing people, question it. Think, is this, take a break and say, is this from God? Or is this coming from someone's own spiritless desires? Is someone following their own natural instincts instead of the spirit? Our natural feelings will lead us astray time and time and time again. Looking at a matter without praying, or looking at a matter without going to God's word, seeing what it says, or being sensitive to the Spirit's leading. These are all red flags that should pop up and say, are you following the Spirit? Are you following yourself? And we as the church need to watch out for this. I'll say this, there may be people like this in our church now, and even if there's not, there may be one day. We have to watch out. We have to beware. Jude is very clear. While we should expect to see this happen in our last days, there needs to be something different about us. And that's the second point we see here. See, ungodliness is to be expected in the church, or even in the church, but true believers are to be different. We cannot be like these spiritless, division-making infiltrators. We must be different. Verse 20 continues this way. But you, dear friends, build yourselves up in the most holy faith and pray in the Holy Spirit. We'll get to the second part of the verse here in a minute. But what Jude is basically saying is that, hey, these ungodly people have infiltrated the church. They scoff at godly things. They follow their own ungodly desires. They make divisions in the church. They follow their own natural instincts. They don't have the Spirit. But you, but you are different. You, dear brothers and sisters, are different. If you've been saved from your sins through Christ's blood shed for you on the cross, that's what makes you different. You have the Spirit in you, living inside you. You are called to follow the Spirit's leading, not your own. You shouldn't scoff at godly things. We're not called to do that. And should always seek the unity of the ch- God's church. But I think Jude's going to point out one very main way here that we are to be different. We're not like these ungodly people. We're called to be different. And then Jude gives us a contrast. Instead of dividing, okay, so instead of dividing the church, we are to be building. We're to be building our faith. 
This is really the big idea of this whole passage. The main thing Jude wants to explain to the church, instead we must build up. And what should we be building up? I put it this way. We need to keep building ourselves up in our holy faith. We must keep growing, building up our faith in Christ. We need to keep building ourselves up in our holy faith. Verse 20. But you, dear friends, build yourselves up in your most holy faith and pray in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Be merciful to those who doubt. Snatch others from the fire and save them. To others show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. This is such a simple but complicated thing. It's easy to understand, but it's so hard to put into practice. When Jude says that we need to build ourselves up in our most holy faith in verse 20, Jude is basically saying, keep growing. Okay, that's what he's telling us. Keep growing. These, these people who have infiltrated the church, they've stopped growing, if they were ever growing in the first place. But you need to keep growing. Keep building on your faith. Unlike them, we need to build ourselves up in the faith. See, when you become a Christian, you haven't suddenly arrived. There's the process of sanctification that we need to keep growing. The only time you'll ever arrive as a Christian is when you walk through heaven's gates. Jude gives the idea of building something, something like a home or part of a home. My dad uh, has been working for years now on getting his basement finished. When we moved here to Canada 11 years ago, he bought a nice house for our family, but the, the large basement was not finished at all. There was nothing in the basement. There was no walls, no drywall, no paint, no carpet, no furniture, nothing was there. And so he's been working steadily at trying to get this finished, one step at a time. And he's made a ton of progress in the last couple of years, and his plans, I think, look great. He has this design that he's going to get a couple extra bedrooms and a bathroom and a lot of storage space, a big family room downstairs, and it's going to look amazing when it's done. But the process is long, and the process is slow. He has to do it one step at a time. As he has time to work on it, he does this. He puts up a wall or works on the floor, does a little bit at a time. And I think this is a great picture of what our faith is like, what our personal faith is like. When we become Christians, we're not finished products. There's so much of us that's not finished. And we need to keep adding to it, slowly building on it, working on it, growing our faith. We need to be adding framing or plumbing or electricity or carpeting or whatever. Things you might see as good character, godliness, holiness, the fruits of the Spirit. Keep adding them, one at a time. Sometimes we may have spurts of growth where we get a whole bunch done at once, and other times it may be slow. But you're just saying, we must build this up. Keep building yourselves up in the holy faith. Must continue making progress. So let me ask you, is your faith growing? Or is it stagnating? Has it slowed down to the point of almost no progress? Are you building up your faith? Is what Jude calls your most holy faith 
actually becoming holier? Or are you regressing, tearing things down, tearing down parts of your faith? You might say here, well, Pastor Matt, you're being pretty vague. You tell us we have to keep building our faith up, but what does that mean? What does that look like in our lives to keep building this up? If you continue the building analogy, you might ask, what are our building materials? Or what are we building with? What tools do we use to do this? Well, we're in luck. Because Jude answers this question in a great way. In the next few verses, he's going to give us several ways that we are to keep building up our faith. And these commands tell us how we can do this. The first way, we build up our faith by praying in the Spirit. We can build up our faith through prayer. Look at the brief command Jude gives us next. Verse 20 again. But you, dear friends, build yourselves up in your most holy faith and pray in the Holy Spirit. And pray in the Holy Spirit. One of the ways we can best build our faith, I believe, is praying. Praying in the Holy Spirit. This is referring to being led by the Spirit as you pray. Praying as the Spirit leads you, according to His will. Being sensitive to the Spirit. What is He telling you? As you pray, what is the Spirit leading you to do? I believe this is a direct contrast with the people we talked about earlier, where Jude says they don't have the Spirit. They're not led by the Spirit. He says, but you pray in the Spirit. Be led by the Spirit. So instead of following our own natural instincts, we need to pray. Praying goes against everything natural about us. Prayer is a supernatural. It taps into the supernatural power of God. It's not our natural instinct. It's not something we naturally do. When we follow our own natural instincts, it will only lead to division, as we saw earlier. When we follow the Spirit's guiding, it will lead to peace. It will lead to growth. So you want to grow in your faith? How's your prayer life? Is that like an unfinished part of your basement? If so, maybe it's time to get to work. A second way that we, keep, we can keep building up our holy faith is by keeping ourselves in God's love. We build ourselves up in the faith by abiding in God's love. Read verse 21 with me. It says, keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. And as we read this, you might think that Jude is saying that we need to keep ourselves saved. Because, after all, if God's love is what saves us, keeping ourselves in God's love must be continuing to save us, right? Wrong. That's not what he's saying here. So what does it mean to keep ourselves in God's love then? One scholar says this, Keeping oneself in God's love does not indicate that salvation depends on one's own efforts, for that would contradict other scripture passages, even in this own chapter. Instead, a believer is nurtured as he is occupied with God's love for him and is in fellowship with him. And then he points out John 15, 9 and 10, Remain in my love. He's referring to when Jesus told his disciples right before he died, remain in my love, abide in my love. In John 15, it says this, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. 
now remain in my love. And then he says how we do that. He says, if you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. How do we keep ourselves in God's love? How do we abide in God's love? We obey. We obey his commands. Do you want to grow in your faith? To build it up? How's your obedience to what Jesus tells you to do? Is there something that you, sh- you know you should be doing? You've been reminded time and time again by yourself or through God's word what you need to be doing, but you aren't. Is there someone you should be witnessing to to fulfill the great commandment? Or sorry, great commission. Is there someone you need to forgive for what they've done to you? Is there some hidden sin in your life that you need to confess to a fellow believer? Those are only a few of the many, many possible things that the Holy Spirit could be telling you right now. Are you obeying His commands? It's a way that we grow. Well, there's one final way here that Jude explains how we can build up our faith. And I find this one especially interesting. We can build up our faith, I put it this way, by showing mercy. When we show mercy to those who sin, we grow our own faith. We build it up. Read with me in verse 22. Jude says this, Be merciful to those who doubt. Snatch others from the fire and save them. To others show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. So he tells us, show mercy. Now, wait a second here. I want you to think of these two verses in the context of this book that we've just gone through. Okay? Think of these two verses in context of what Jude has been telling us. Jude has spent three quarters of his entire letter talking about how godless some people are. How there are cancers in the church. How there are blemishes, twice dead trees, wild waves, shameful, selfish, prideful, ungodly, grumblers, fault finders, divisive, scoffers, twisting God's grace. Now, if I were writing a letter to the church about these people, my next set of advice would be different. It's not what Jude would say here. I say, ride him out on a rail. Get him out of here. That's not what he says. He says, be merciful to those who doubt. Snatch others from the fire and save them. To others show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. Our main response to ungodly people among us. Number one is building up our own faith so we don't fall like they do. But number two is showing mercy to the ungodly among us. Showing mercy. And you might think that sounds ridiculous. 
Why in the world should we show mercy to these people? Well, that's what God did for us, isn't it? We, at one time, were all ungodly, godless, sinners. Romans 5.8, verse you all know well, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus Christ came to earth as God in human flesh out of love for who? The ungodly. Out of love for sinners. He sacrificed his own body to take the punishment for our ungodly sins. He showed us the ultimate mercy. We don't have to die to show people mercy. He did. It's his continuing mercies that keeps forgiving us of the sins we still commit. And it's his mercy that will one day bring us to heaven. Did you see what he said in verse 21? It says, keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. And now God asks us to follow his example of showing mercy to others. We're to show mercy on anyone who doubts, anyone who has a hard time believing our message. He says in verse 22, be merciful to those who doubt. Now the purpose of our showing mercy is not just to let people get off scot-free. That's not why we're doing this. But the purpose of our showing mercy is in the hope that they will be saved. Did you see that? He lays it out very clearly. That they will see our mercy and see Christ's mercy through it. And that they will move from doubt to belief. Belief in Jesus Christ as their Savior. It says, be merciful to those who doubt, snatch others from the fire and save them. To others show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. Jude gives us a very vivid word picture to describe us bringing others to salvation. In verse 23 at the beginning, it says, Snatch others from the fire and save them. Snatch them from the fire. I remember growing up in our home uh, when I was a child, we had a gas stove. And if anyone has a gas stove or um, maybe you haven't seen one before, how you cook your food on it is there's this blue flame that comes out and it cooks your food. You have to light it. Um, You turn the knob and it click, 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 and then it comes into flame, right? And cook your food by the flame. Well, sometimes you had to be careful, because if the gas didn't light the flame right away, and you clicked, more gas would come out, and then when it finally did light, there'd be this extra large whoosh of flame, right? Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. And uh, I remember one time, I was probably in my early teens, I was cooking a meal for lunch, and this happened. It clicked, 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 and then this huge whoosh of flame came out. But the problem was that right next to the stove, there was this oven mitt. And as a dry fabric on a flame, you can imagine, it caught on fire right away. And I don't know, looking back, I don't know if this was stupid or brilliant, but what I did next, it took a matter of seconds. I reached out and grabbed the oven mitt that was on fire, flung it across the kitchen into the sink, (laughs) 
ran over, turned the water on as fast as I could, and doused the flame in the sink. Now, I don't know whether that's what the fire safety would have told me to do or not, but that's what I did, and this took about three or four seconds, after which I turned to my mom in the other room and said, hey, mom, I just put out a fire, and she very understandably freaked out at that point. (laughs) But this is the picture of us snatching something from the fire as fast as we can, as urgently as we can, taking something away from it. And I think it's a great picture of it. You see, the people that are not saved now, maybe you even, today, but the people who are not saved, they might not realize it, but they are headed for a fire. And we need to, as believers, as quickly and as urgently as we can, snatch them from the fire. Tell them, you need, you need Jesus. You need to repent. If you're here and you haven't heard this before, or you have and you've just refused to obey, I tell you again, The fire of God's wrath is headed your way. We don't tell you this to scare you into believing. We tell you this to point to the great mercy of God shown us in Christ. That we deserve that end. We fully deserve it. But God in his mercy has provided a way out. Let us help snatch you from that fire. It's not too late. You can be saved today from your sin, from hell, and from God's wrath forever. Now, just to be clear here, showing mercy to people is not quite the same as showing mercy their sins. In fact, it's very different. If they have brought a sin or a practice or a teaching that is ungodly into the church, that is what needs to be written out on the rams. It's very much showing mercy and love to the sinner while hating the sin. See what Jude says at the end of verse 23. He says, To others, show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. The New Living Translation translates the verse this way. It says, Rescue others by snatching from the flames of judgment. There are still others to whom you need to show mercy, but be careful that you aren't contaminated by their sins. Be careful. So what might this look like? What does it mean to show mercy to the ungodly among us? What if one of your Christian friends, or they claim to be a Christian, falls into a sinful habit? How do you respond? Whether that be sexual immorality, or greed, or pornography, or just anger, or being divisive, be any number of things. You need to hold them accountable, to be sure. 
but tell and tell them this is behavior that's not becoming of a follower of Jesus Christ. This is not what we're called to be about. If you want to follow Jesus, you must repent and you must change. Hold them accountable, to be sure. You need to learn to hate their sin. Hate your sin. It says, hating even the clothing stained by the corrupted flesh. After all, these are sins that very legitimately send people to hell. You must learn to hate the sin. But then, turn to your friend and say, because Christ loved me, because he showed mercy to me, I will still love you. I will forgive you. I will show mercy to you. I accept you, and you are welcome here. That's mercy. That's following Christ's example. And as we follow Christ's example, I believe that's how we become more like him, and that's how we build our faith, through mercy. As we come to the end today, you might be wondering, well, why should I do all this? What's my motivation? Why should I want to build up my faith more? Why should I want to pray more, obey better, or show mercy to others? What's my motivation here? And I think the answer lies in the final verses of this book of Jude, which I believe very much may be the most majestic verses in the entire Bible, in my opinion. But what we see here is that we need to work at building up our faith because because God deserves all your devotion and all the glory. That's really our motivation. That's our motivation for anything in life, is that God deserves all your devotion, all the glory. Our ultimate motivation for working at our faith should be to bring glory to God. He deserves it. He deserves all the glory in the entire universe. Read with me in verse 24. It's really a benediction. Jude says this, To him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without, presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God our Savior be glory, majesty, power, and authority, through Jesus Christ our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. Just a couple of really quick things here. So even though Jude earlier told us to keep ourselves in God's love, in reality, only God can do the keeping. He's the one that can truly keep us and keep us faultless. He says, to him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. No matter how much you do to build up your faith, you can't save yourself. Apostles can't save you. The church can't save you. The Bible can't save you. The works, your good works that you do on earth cannot save you. Only Jesus can save you. But God, by sending Jesus to die for you, that's the only way we can be saved. 
And he says, there's great joy waiting for you at the end of your life when God brings you before his throne. He's able to keep us from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. And what will we do before his throne? Start singing. Start singing the praises of the glory of God. To the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages, or in all ages, now and forever. Forevermore. Amen. He made you, he saved you, and he keeps you faultless. And he deserves all the praise. Don't build up your faith in order to build yourself up, or to build up your life, or to build up your spiritual life. Build up your faith in order to build up God's glory. Don't do it for yourself. Do it for him. We need to build up our faith because God deserves all our devotion and all the glory. Let's pray. Oh Lord, you are so good. We come to you and we offer our worship We offer our words, our praise. But really, you deserve so much more. You deserve everything we can ever give you, all of our devotion, all of our life. Because you gave your life for us. Pray that you would keep just drilling that into our hearts. Make us constantly aware of your sacrifice for us and how great you are. Help us to live in a way that shows mercy to others. For you have shown mercy to us. That builds up our faith. Not to build ourselves up, but to build you up. Pray this in the name of Jesus.